0: Welcome to Revealed Truth, the audio outreach ministry of Moores Creek Baptist Church. I am Pastor Roger Barnes, and I invite you now to join me as we open the Bible, God's Revealed Truth. Turn to Ephesians, the fourth chapter, where we've been spending some time together. And once you found Ephesians chapter four, if you'll stand with me. Let's very quickly read the first six verses and dive into where we left off last week. So Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 1, it reads like this. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body. There is one Spirit, just as you were called, in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and is in you all. Father, this morning we have worshipped you through our time together in Sunday school. We've worshipped you through our fellowship. We've worshipped you so beautifully through the music this morning, Father. We've worshipped you through our time in our business meeting. We've worshipped you through the giving back to you and obediently trusting you to supply all of our needs. And now, Father, we want to worship you. Worship you through the truth of your word. We can only do that if we are totally focused upon you. So this morning, you set aside those things that may cloud our mind, those plans that we have, the lunch appointments, the different things that are crowding into our minds at this moment. Focus our attention upon you upon your son Jesus. I ask that you make very little of me, very much of you, that the gospel of Jesus Christ may reign in this place this morning. This we pray in the name of your precious son Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you you may be seated. If you were with us last week, we started off in this Uh, fourth chapter down about that uh, third verse is where we're at we've actually for those of you who are visiting we've been hastily making our way through uh, ephesians (laughs) we've actually been in the fourth chapter of ephesians since january 1 of this year we've been in the book of ephesians since january 1 of last year and we've been studying about what God says about the body, the church. The first three chapters, you remember that theology about how we're saved and who we are in Christ. Then in the fourth chapter, it switches gears and it applies it directly to the body, directly to the church, directly to all of us who who know Jesus as our Lord and Savior. We worked through the fact in the second verse, it said we should walk humbly. Then it said that we should be meek in our walk, where it says gentleness. We should humbly... Uh, put uh, others ahead of ourselves. think of others more than we think of ourselves. We should very meekly approach things, have that power of God within us, but not unleash it on others unless God calls us to do that in his defense. Then we talked about that long suffering, that, that patience, that, that patience that we need. Um, y'all show me so much patience and I, I'm so appreciative of the fact that you do that and And for there, we talked about bearing with one another in love. And we looked at that love that God has. It's not that love of of taking from something. It's not even that love of giving and taking in exchange like you would have in a friendship. The love of God was all about giving. All about giving to us when we were so undeserving of that love. And he tells us to walk in those things. And he brings it to a culmination in his third verse when he says we are to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We talked about that unity of spirit. We talked about that bond of peace, which is putting on love, showing love to each other. We talked about last week that we are all one body, as it told us in Ephesians, the second chapter. We are one body. We're all saved to be placed in the one body. From there, we talked about it being done by the work of one spirit. There is only one Spirit. Jesus told us that when He left this place, when He left this place to go back to His Father, He would send this Holy Spirit to indwell us. Each of us that know Him as our Lord and Savior are filled with that same Spirit. We move from talking about that Spirit to there being one hope. We mentioned that the fact of this world is so many people live as if there is no hope. Regrettably, we as Christians sometimes live as if there is no hope. Yet we have all the hope in the world, and His name is Jesus. And we talked about that one hope, but in the second chapter of Ephesians, it tells us that Jesus is our hope. From there, it moved on to talk about Jesus being our Lord. For many of us, we've accepted Jesus as our Savior, but we failed to allow Him to be Lord. Those two things cannot be disconnected in your life. He's either your Savior and Lord, or He is nothing. Because the only way He can be the Savior of your soul is to take your life from what it was under your control, under the control of Satan, and place it under His control, His Lordship, to make you look more like Him, which is the desire of God our Father. And we talked about that one Lord. We went to Ephesians chapter 2 and we talked about at the end of all times that every knee's going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And there's not a thing in this world that can be done to change that. There's no rule that can be set in place. There is no demon that can come. There's nothing we can do as a church to change the fact that Jesus is Lord. And then it moves down and it picks up where we're going to pick up today. It says not only is there one Lord over all of our lives, but there is one faith. There is one faith. There are not many things that you must believe to get to God. There is one faith that you have to get to God. And there is only one way to have that faith. In Ephesians chapter 2, he tells us this in verse 8 and 9. He says in verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And it's not of yourself, it is the gift of God. It's not of any works that you may do, lest anyone should boast. There is only one way that you can have one body. There's only one way that you can have the one spirit. There's only one way that you can have one hope or one Lord, and it's through one faith. It is that faith that comes to us when we're not even seeking it. The most amazing thing to me about God's plan of salvation is when I had my back turned to Him doing what I wanted to do, He decided that He would change all that. He decided out of the love that He poured out through His Son, Jesus Christ, that He would give me the faith to believe in what He did. Not what He did plus what I could do, but what He did. For without His salvation, all my works are as filthy rags. They're nothing. The only way anything that I do in this world makes any difference is because it's directed by the lordship of Jesus Christ through the faith that I had in what he did upon that cross for me. While I was yet a sinner, while I was yet desiring sin in my life, it says he provided grace. For it's through that grace to not give me that thing which I deserve, but to give me that which I didn't deserve, which was faith to believe in Jesus Christ. Do you realize the miracle salvation is in your life? Do you realize how big a miracle that is? If today I was to raise somebody from the dead in your presence, you would say, what a miracle, but that pales in comparison to what Christ did for you. For a body that was dead in sin has been brought to life because of faith in what Jesus Christ did upon a cross for our sins. See, what he says there is this one faith that is amazing to think as he tells us over in Ephesians chapter 1, as he tells us in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7, it says this faith is in him. It's not faith in yourself. It's not faith in the church. It's not faith in what your mother, your father, your grandfather has done. It's not faith in in your abilities. It's not faith in, in your giving. It's not faith in your attendance. It's faith in one thing. In Him. Because it's in Him we have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of our sins according to the riches of His grace. See, all that sin in our life has been covered by this precious blood that flowed out from the body of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ by the grace of the Almighty God. What an awesome thought that it says in verse 8, which He made to abound towards us in all wisdom and prudence. He made that grace to abound towards us toward us what an awesome thought to think that there is this one faith and it's a faith in jesus christ no matter what the world may tell you there is only one way to heaven and it's a man named jesus any other way to heaven is actually to hell any road taken except the road walked by the precious feet of our lord and savior jesus christ leads to hell No matter how uncomfortable it is for those who don't believe. No matter how much they say it is is self-centered and single-minded and closing out and how you should be all-inclusive. No. Jesus gave them the opportunity to be included. They've chosen to not be included. For he said that there is one way. That he is the door. He is the light. He is everything. Without faith in Jesus Christ. Christ your destiny is a place called hell and aren't you glad that we gather together in one faith and it's in Jesus Christ how did that happen in our life look at Romans Romans chapter 10 comes to mind you say how does this work in in our life look at Romans chapter 10 verse uh, 8 but what does it say the word is near you In your mouth and in your heart, that is, the word of faith which we preach. It says in verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you might be saved. You you possibly could wind up saved? No, it says you will be saved. See, the key is not just confessing with your mouth. Many of us hear that and say, we can do that. We'll walk an aisle. The Baptists are faithful, just faithful for having an altar call, sending people to the front to tell the pastor to stand before the church to say, I believe in Jesus. I'm going to confess with my mouth because we say that is the way that you are saved. No, church, it is not. I hate that the Baptist forefathers are rolling over in their grave as I say that, but that is not salvation. You can walk this aisle every Sunday and tell me that Jesus is your Lord and Savior. If you don't leave that door, believe it in your heart and live it, you're as lost as the moment you stepped out to come tell me. You see, just saying it with your mouth does not fulfill what he says here. He says you must say it with your mouth and believe it in your heart. When you believe it in your heart, your mouth can't keep itself closed. When you believe it in your heart, you tell everybody about this one faith. When you believe it in your heart, you'll grab a hold of the ankles of the person you know is headed to hell and you'll beg them on their way in to come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. When you believe it in your heart, the world you live in will look different. Our problem is we want to come in the comfort of this place and confess it with our mouth and leave, not letting anybody know because we're afraid they're going to look at us a little bit funny. Let me tell you this, church. If they're not looking at you funny, you don't know my Jesus. Because when they saw Jesus, they wanted to kill him. When they saw Jesus, they wanted to put him upon a cross. Has anybody tried to hang you upon a cross because of what you believe in your heart? Then be careful that it's only been lip service. Your heart should be so full of faith in Jesus Christ that the world around you goes, wow. See, the problem with the growth of the church, in case you haven't figured it out, the church is going backwards in America right now. The church is in decline. I don't think it's a bad thing in all honesty. Because I think we have too many people that sit on pews to put their faith in the things that they have done and the things that they have said instead of in Jesus Christ. If that's the case, let the chaff be blown away and the wheat stay. I don't care if there's five of you that believe with all of your heart that Jesus is Lord and Savior and he sends all other 95 somewhere else, it's okay with me. Because five who truly believe and will go after sharing the gospel can do way more than 100 folks that serve lip service to God. This morning, you've got to realize, we're all in this body together because of one thing, and it's faith in a person, Jesus Christ. And we confess that faith with our, with our mouth, but more important, we believe it in our hearts. What melds our hearts together when we come together into one body is belief in Jesus Christ. So this morning, I pray that if you have confessed Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you have also believed in your heart. It is not shameful to come and say, you know, Pastor, I said I believed in Jesus, but at that moment, I didn't. I confessed him with my mouth, but at some time later, maybe today, I came to believe that Jesus is who he really is. It's not shameful to come forward if you've been baptized 50, 100 years ago. It makes no difference. If you come forward and say, you know, I went into the water and came out of the water in no different condition. I confessed with my mouth, but my life didn't change. It's okay to come to the front of the church and, and fall on your knees and say, God, I might have confessed with my mouth, but I didn't believe it my, in my heart until this moment. I want to change all that. It's okay to humble yourself before the one sitting in the pew next to you and take that face off that you've been playing with that makes you look like a Christian and throw it on the floor and come and really become a believer. It's not enough to say you love Jesus. You've got to live it. So there was this one faith. It's funny I should mention baptism because the next thing it says in Ephesians 4, it's just not only one faith, but it's one baptism. One baptism. There's arguments all over, all over the religious world about what it means to be baptized. Let me just set very clearly to you what I understand it means to be baptized. That We do not practice infant baptism. Why? Because baptism should follow confession and belief. If a child is not, does not have the ability to confess Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and believe that fact in their heart, then baptism does nothing but wet them. So infant baptism to me cannot be found in the Bible. If you can find it, come see me. We'll talk about it. Maybe you can change my heart and mind. But at this point, I do not see infant baptism in the Bible. Does that make that wrong? Yes. Why? Because it puts a person's faith in the act that was done by some priest or preacher to sprinkle water on a kid when the decision is not the priest or the parents, it's the child's. If the child can't make the decision, then the child is headed to a place called hell. You sprinkle a kid and he puts his faith in that and never changes his heart the rest of his life, you've doomed him to a place called hell. That's why I don't do child baptism. Because that person needs to come to understand the sin in their life, ask for forgiveness of that sin, be forgiven by a gracious God, believe in their heart that he did just that, and then the act of baptism takes place. Some of you may have been baptized before you actually believed. It's pretty common in the Baptist church. Do you know why? Because to us, the symbol of you being a Christian is you haven't been dunked in that pool. You being dunked in that pool does not change your standing with God, one iota. How do I know that? There was a thief hanging upon a cross that at the end of his life saw Jesus face to face in a place called heaven. They didn't take him off the cross and baptize him and put him back on and kill him. He came to believe in Jesus Christ hanging at his death next to him. Jesus looked at him and said, today you will be with me in paradise. So don't think that baptism pool will save you. It will not. You'll go in a wet Christian of a wet center, you 'll come out a wet center. What is baptism? Baptism is the outward sign of what God has done internally in your heart. When you've confessed him, believed in your heart, your heart's been changed, you're making an outward symbolic gesture, just as Jesus did, if you remember, He came to a man named John the Baptist, and John said, "I should not." be baptizing you, you should be baptizing me. And what did Jesus say? No, it's the will of the Father. We're going to do that which the Father has willed. When he was baptized, you remember, he came out of the water, and the Holy Spirit came in the form of a dove and alighted upon him. And you heard the voice of the Father say, this is my son. You see, the act of baptism doesn't save you. The act of baptism puts you into the fellowship of the body of the church as a public example of what Christ has done in your heart. Maybe this morning you're sitting there thinking, I've been baptized. I was baptized as a kid, but I didn't come to know Jesus until I was 20, 30 years old. I had confessed and was baptized, but I didn't really come to know him until some years later. Your first baptism was useless to baptize you into the body. Your public profession should be made after you come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I'm not in the game of adding up numbers for baptism, but I'll tell you this, until you're completely obedient to God, you will never grow to be like the Lord Jesus Christ. If you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you were baptized before you were ever truly a believer, you need to get that straight in your life. It's only shameful to sit in your pew and let your pride keep you from being obedient, not shameful to come and say, I had this happen in my life, and I want to get it straight, so I'm in fellowship with the Father. Maybe today's the day for that for you, but this baptism, why do we do it? Because, number one, and book of Matthew he tells us this right at the very end of the book of Matthew in verse 18 he says and Jesus came and spoke to them saying all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth and that authority has been given to Jesus by the father and he says in verse 19 go therefore and make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the father the son and the holy spirit and he didn't put a period they put a comma because they still have more work to do because he says teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded commanded you guess what he just commanded them to do <laughs> go share the gospel make disciples and baptize them so he says all things and what's his promise and lo I am with you always even to the end of the age and he says amen I agree what an awesome picture of that of that outward sign of what's happened in our hearts but over in first Corinthians it also speaks of another baptism. There are some denominations that will ask you if you get in discussions with them, have you had the second or the third baptism in your life? Because they believe that, that you get saved and then you can be baptized in the Holy Spirit, maybe even multiple times. And, and the more you're baptized, the more it's evidence. whether it's in speaking in tongues or dancing in the church or whatever it may be. But here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 11, it says this, but one in the same spirit works all these things. Now, what are these things? These things are the list that starts at the beginning of chapter 12, which is uh, spiritual gifts and unity through the diversity of those gifts in the body. But it says, but the one in the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. He says in verse 12, for as the body is one, and has many members but all the members of that one body being many are one body so also is christ for by one spirit we were all baptized into one body whether jews or greeks whether slaves or free and have all been made to drink into one spirit for in fact the body is not one member but many See, being baptized by the Spirit is when you come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're indwelt by that Spirit. Each of us are gifted to do a certain thing within the church, within the body. That Spirit works within each of us for those individual pieces to put us together like a puzzle so that the body looks like Christ and goes out into this world. So there is one baptism, both physically and spiritually. But it doesn't stop there in verse 6 of of Ephesians 4, he says there is also one God and one Father of all. One God and one Father. He brought that up when he first started the book of Ephesians. In chapter 1 verse 3 it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of, his, of the glory of his grace, by which he has made us accepted in the beloved. You see this picture of God? This picture of an almighty God who has chosen to kill his son upon a cross that we might be saved. He has taken each of us and fitted us together into one body, his body. And We see this picture of God choosing us to be a member of that family, to be a member of that body. We also see over in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, it says, Therefore, concerning the eating of things, this is verse 4 Therefore, concerning the eating of things offered to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in this world, and that there is no other God but one. For even if there are so called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as There are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, of whom all things and we are for Him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom all things and through whom we live. He's writing to that Corinthian church, reminding them no matter what the world says about there being. Various gods. And every person should do that which makes them happy. For us as Christians, we should realize there is only one God. No matter what is laid on the plate before us, there is one God. No matter what the world tells us we should do to be happy, there is only one God. No matter who is the president of the United States, there is still only one God. No matter what happens in your life or in this world, there is but one God. I find it very interesting that Paul says that. I find it even more interesting in the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 46. And I'm going to hurry. We're going to get through the half of this first point if it kills me. Isaiah 46 verse 9 says this. Remember the former things of old. Look back. Remember those things. Remember the old things. He goes on to say in verse 9 of chapter 46. For I am God and there is no other. I am God, and there is none that's like me. In Isaiah 45, Isaiah 45, just back a page, verse 14, verse 14, it says this Thus says the Lord, the labor of Egypt and the merchandise of Cush and of the Sabians, men of stature, shall come over to you and they shall be yours. They shall walk behind you, showing their their captivity, showing that you've taken control. They shall come over in chains, showing that you've bound them. And they shall bow down to you, showing that you are mightier than they. They will make supplication uh, to you, saying, Surely God is in you, and there is no other. There is no other God. What Jesus is saying through the pen of Isaiah, what God is saying through the pen of Isaiah here is if you live this godly life as if there is only one God, that you're filled with that spirit that you have faith in is Jesus Christ, the world will notice. The world will notice and from their lips they will say, surely God is in you and there is no other God. There is no other God. What does the world need to know the most today? That there is no other God. We worry about the laws they're putting in place. We need to worry about who they think God is. You change their heart to see God as the great I am and everything else takes care of itself. Deuteronomy, a book I'm sure you hang out in at night and read. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 39 says this. Now see that I, even I, am He, and there is no God besides me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal. Nor is there any who can deliver from my hand. For I raise my hand to heaven and say, as I live forever, if I... Wet my glittering sword, and my hand takes hold on judgment. I will render vengeance to my enemies and repay those who hate me. I will make my arrows drunk with blood, and my sword shall devour flesh with the blood of the slain and the captives from the heads of the leaders of the enemy. What did he say? I'm God. I not only provide life, there are times that I provide death. I hear people tell me all the time, I can only believe in a God that is a God of love. These are people that sit in church that profess to read their Bible. Have they gotten to page 3 yet? When he gets so disgusted with the world that he wipes it out with a flood? Have you gotten far enough in the Bible to see where the ground opens up and swallows those who said he is not God? Have you gotten to the place in the Bible where the armies dwindle down to just a few men and go up against thousands and they slaughter them all? Yes, God's a God of love, but sometimes He's a God of love through His judgment. And He says that even though I kill, I make alive, even though I wound, I heal, I'm God. The most beautiful passage about it in the Bible, I think, is Deuteronomy chapter 6. This is called the Shema by the Jews. This is their, their banner, so to speak. This is their, their, their marching orders. In chapter 6 of Deuteronomy, verse 4, it says this. Hear, O Israel. There's this announcement, this proclamation saying, Israel, listen. He says, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. There is only One God. There is no other God. We all worship one God. Whether the color of our skin is white, black, brown, yellow, there is only one God. Whether we're male, whether we're female, there is only one God. Whether we're adult or we're a child, there is only one God. Whether we worship through hymns or whether we worship through a rock band, there is only one God. Whether we worship in a house with five of our friends or we meet with a hundred in a building, there is only one God. We need to get into our heart the fact that there is only one God. And it's that one God that has chosen to put us together into one body, His body. You see, it goes on to say there in Ephesians, He wraps this entire passage up by saying this one God and one father of all who is above all have you ever stopped and thought about just how big God is I heard someone talking about the relationship of the earth and the sun and how we're like a million times smaller than the sun And we're spinning at a certain distance from this sun at some thousands of miles an hour. You're sitting perfectly still in your chair, not realizing you're traveling thousands of miles an hour. With this ball of fire, it's millions of times bigger than us. We're tilted in a certain way so that there are seasons. When it's warmer or when it's cooler. We're circling around this ball of fire. And you tell me there's not a God? You tell me if we took this earth and we moved it just a few miles closer, we'd burn to death. If we moved it a few miles further away, we'd freeze. Yet there's people that say there is no God. My God is so large that he spoke that into existence. He said, "Sun shine, earth, spin, and it did it. But don't forget, he didn't do it and go, good luck, and walk off. Even today, he still keeps that earth tilted just right, spinning just right, at just the right distance. Why? For you. You're put on this earth specifically to live a life that honors and glorifies the God who at this very moment has his finger spinning that globe of the earth with you sitting on it, not even realizing what's happening. When I think of a God that's above all, all I have to do is look around me and realize he's got to be a pretty awesome God. But it doesn't just say that he is above all, it says he's through all. There's not a thing that happens in our life that doesn't run through the fingers of our sovereign God. Whether it be good or whether it be bad, God doesn't allow Satan to just do as he sees fit. Joe's proof of that. He said, you want to attack him, attack him, but you can't take his life. God was still in control. Was Satan allowed to take some of his possessions? Absolutely. But he said, Do what you want, but you can't take his life. God was sifting through his fingers what Satan was about to do. That exact same thing happens in our life. We have a tragedy happen. We say, where was God? He says, I've been here the whole time. I'll be here when you come out of the tragedy. I was here before you went into the tragedy. He's God through everything. But it doesn't stop there. He says, "Is a God who's above all. (laughs) He's through all. And this is proof that he's southern because he's in y'all. I thought everybody would laugh at that one. I just made that one up on the fly. It says he's in you all. Do you realize this God that flung the stars into space, that separated the waters by land masses so we'd have somewhere to live, do you realize the God that allows you to go and breathe is in you? Do you realize if you know his son Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, he is living in you right now. Unity. As the body of Christ, no matter where we are, whether it's Moores Creek or Union Chapel or Atkinson Baptist, this body of Christ is indwelt by God. I can't help but think the church has got an apology. His body has not acted like it's indwelt by a holy God. His body has acted as if God is not the Almighty. We have taken the back road on so many things to keep from being confrontational. We've stepped away in hopes of not offending anyone when what we've done is bought them a one-way ticket to a place called hell. Church, God calls for us to be unified around one thing. It's Jesus. It's not about what temperature we want the building, what color we want the carpet, what programs we do. It's Jesus. All the other things take care of themselves. So my call to you this morning, church. Are you living a life that is glorifying to God and is proof of the unity of the body? In two weeks, I will attempt to bring you what I feel like is the most important message that God has ever laid on my heart about the unity of the church. We don't take it near as seriously as God does. I was hoping to get there today. We could stay another hour and probably still wouldn't. God takes the unity of the church so serious that I'll prove to you through scripture it's how he has desired to make Jesus known to the world. It's not through what you say or what you do. It's through the unity of the church. You'll be shocked at what the Bible says. About our relationship to each other and our relationship to God. But it starts with whether or not you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Whether or not you've been obedient and been baptized after that. Whether or not you've allowed God to be Lord of your life through His Son, Jesus Christ. Those things need to be fixed. If this morning you've been stirred in your heart to say, God, there is something that's just not right. I beg of you, don't leave this place. Don't leave this place until you deal with that. You come and pray, come and I'll be glad to pray with you. The deacons are here, they'll pray with you. Is there anything special? I have people tell me all the time, I could pray for my pew. You sure could. God could have stayed or could have kept Jesus in heaven too and let you deal with your own sin. There's something special about just being so humble that you fall on your face before God, weeping, not caring what anybody else in the world sees or cares about for Jesus hung naked upon a cross for my sins you think I care if you see me weep at the altar getting in the right relationship with God I could care less God hung naked on a cross for me thank you for joining us here at revealed truth I would like to personally invite you to visit with us at Morris Creek Baptist Church We're located at 3107 Union Chapel Road in Curry, North Carolina. Our Sunday school starts at 10 o'clock on Sunday mornings and is followed at 11 o'clock with our Sunday morning worship service. We also have a time of prayer and Bible study on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock. We look forward to seeing you soon.